new series today called Recovering Redemption. It's based on a book by a pastor. His name is Matt Chandler. He's a, a teacher, preacher in a church in Texas. So we'll be going through this. But please know that it's based on this book. But this book is based on the good book. It's based on the Bible. So everything we do is based on the Word of God. If, it, if it's not based on that and we're not bringing forth the Word of God, then we're not bringing forth anything that's of any value. So please know that it's based upon the Word of God, and we'll be spending our time there as well as pointing to this book some. And please know also that in this series, whatever we talk about in the big room, whatever I bring or whatever the teacher brings here is meant to be just a beginning or a starting point meant for ongoing conversation that's supposed to happen later on in smaller groups, community groups that are popping up all over the church. In conjunction with Recovering Redemption, there are community groups popping up all over. There's a matrix outside of, so if you walk outside those doors and the brick wall that's out there, there's a matrix on that wall that will tell you all the different leaders and the times that they meet and the groups that they have and their contact information. We won't get out of this series what, what we're intended to get out of this series if we just rely on a message that happens in a big room. Can I be really, really honest with you just as we begin? Very little change happens from talks in big, in big rooms. Would you agree with me on that? Very little change actually happens a talk given in a big room. So what's meant to happen here, I'll get us started, I promise. But then you take that and you work that out and you start to discuss the things that we discuss here in smaller groups in community and opportunity abounds. Steve Serbaugh is the champion of, the group, of those groups so you can get with him and he can plug you in. You can plug yourself in just by looking at the contact information or if you're community group challenged like me, anybody community group challenged, like you're just not sure you want to go to somebody's house and sit on their couch and you don't know them and what if they have a cat? And it, jump, <laughs> and it jumps in your lap, and you don't like cats, and you're like, I gotta, I gotta, I think about these things. I don't know if you guys think about them. I think about that stuff. Can you hit the cat? Do you not? I don't know. It stresses me out. That's okay. You can start your own. Like, you can pick your own crew. You don't have to do, I don't, I'm not dying to put you in a group with people you don't know. Although I want you to know more people in here. But if you don't want to do that, you pick your own crew. Steve Serbal can help you with that too. There's workbooks and there's study materials and there are, there's everything you need to take this material and, and take it further in a group and discuss it. And I don't really care how you do it. You can join one, you can start your own. As long as we all uh, agree with this, that no one will do this material alone that you won't just rely on a talk in a big room to try to take in and then you're just gonna work it out yourself because you will miss what this series has for you, okay? So you'll hear that a lot. Who's your crew? And the wrong answer is no one. The right answer will be you're gonna have to, and if you, you wanna start manufacturing that lie in your head right now and who you're in a group with, you better start getting it because I'm gonna ask you when I see you, who's your crew? Who are you going through this with? All right. Recovering redemption starts with this. It starts with the gospel. The gospel is, gospel means good news. It starts with the good news about Jesus. This, this message, this gospel, this good news is what the whole Old Testament was leading up to and pointing to. And it's what 
most of the rest of the New Testament was written in response to. It's this message right here. That God came from heaven to earth. That Jesus, fully God, chose to leave heaven and to come down here. Philippians says it this way, says it this way that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he set it aside, made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, a servant to us, and came down here. So that's the first part of it, that God actually came here to live a perfect life. He came down here to live perfectly, something you and I have not been able to do. How is your perfection? Anyone accomplished that yet? We all... We all are very much aware of our imperfection. Jesus came and lived perfectly. We're going to need that, so set that aside for just a little bit. Lived perfectly, then died on a cross, and he said he died on a cross as our substitute. Well, why? Why did he, de- why did he need to die for us? Why did we need a substitute to die on a cross? Because God will say and does say that all of our imperfection needs, pay, needs paid for. Someone has to pay for your imperfection. And Jesus essentially said, I'll do it. I will come down here and pay for all of that imperfection that's going on. And that payment somehow happened at the cross. Somehow, and I don't understand it. It's a mystery. All we do is read it. But at the cross, this is what was said to happen. This is 2 Corinthians. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, lived a perfect life, to be sin for us or take our sin upon him that we might become clean and free of it and forgiven of it. And it was his choice to do it. It was like we had this bill and it needed to be paid. And then Jesus said, hey, I'll, 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 I'll pay it. The payment for it was the wages of sin is, help me out, the wages of sin is, what's the, what's the price of sin? His payment then was death, so he paid it. Came from heaven to earth, lived perfectly, died as a substitute, goes to the grave. And then three days later, he comes back. Proving he was God because no one does that. No one ever did that. No one's ever done it since. And so when somebody comes back from the dead and they say they're God, you have to listen to them. You have to listen to what they say. He said he was God. Appeared to hundreds of people, hundreds of people at the same time proving. The scriptures are full of eyewitness accounts. No, he really did come back from the dead. And then makes his ascension up to heaven, and now he's said to be at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. That's the good news. Here's the deal. You're supposed to hear that, and it's supposed to change. You're supposed to hear it, believe it, and it's supposed to change your life. So here's my question. Has that good news, that's the gospel, Has that good news changed your life? Here's what the writers of our series, I lifted this from the introduction of their book. This is what they assume. It says, unless we've missed our guess, you were pretty sure that being a Christian was supposed to change you, and it has 
some. The key word there is some. But there's still so much more that needs changing. Drastic things, daily things, big things, little things, habit things, routine things. The old familiar pattern things like that old cycle that you're still in. You've been in that cycle struggling with that same thing for so long before Christ, with Christ, and now all this time later that there are certain parts of your heart that still remain untouched. There's just so much that needs changed yet. Changes to things that you do, changes to things that you don't do, changes to things that you don't ever want to do again. But then there's this pesky, unavoidable truth about you and me. And that pesky, unavoidable truth is this, is that we barely change. We don't change a lot. This series is going right after that. This series, as clearly as I can say, is, is about real change that lasts, that's inspired by Jesus. It's like all the Jesus stuff we talk about, we talk about and talk about, talk about Jesus, and then we live and live and live, and sometimes it seems like the two are so disconnected. Please tell me I'm not the only one. We talk and talk and talk about Jesus, and then we live and live and live, and it never, they don't touch. They don't intersect. It doesn't make a difference. Well, this series is about making them connect. That all this Jesus stuff we talk about would actually impact our life and would change in a lasting sort of way. I'll just steal the byline from the book. It says this, Recovering Redemption, a gospel-saturated perspective on how to change. So, I know that I need it. I'm actually looking forward to this. I know I need it. Pretty sure you do. The problem is typically we don't want to. So let's pray and ask God to help us want to do this, and then we'll get on to doing it. Sound good? Let's pray. Lord, I do ask today, thankful to be here today, thankful for the opportunity to be here today and to, to speak your truth, your revelation. Asking, though, that you would help us to want to hear it, we really would want to do something different. We know these things about ourselves, but help us to want to hear this and want to do something with it. And you, you have to do that in us because naturally we don't want to. So I'll pray that kind of sort of natural Christian prayer, which is, you know, open our hearts and soften our hearts and open our ears. And, but I really mean it. I really want you to open our ears and soften our hearts so we really can hear this stuff and take it in and then Help us to do something with it. And help us to want to do the rest of the year in community with others. No more Lone Rangers. And you're going to have to help us want that too because we don't typically want that on our own. And ask these things in the good and great name of Jesus. And everybody said, all right. If good news, here's the opening line. If good news is going to be good news or good news is only good news if it invades bad news. So news is News, whatever it is coming to it, it can be good or bad, but it, it depends on the backdrop that's there. This good news about Jesus won't be good. We won't truly grab it, hold on to it, embrace it, want to do something with it, unless we first understand sort of the bad news that is us. And so let me just say it this way. I got a call from my accountant telling me how much tax I owe. Good news or bad news? 
<laughs> it was good news because I thought it was going to be more. And so it makes a difference on what the situation is. So when it comes, you're like, you see it, you're like, this is not going to be good. But it was good news because of the bad that I was assuming. I got a letter in the mail from my insurance company. Good news or bad news? See, it matters what it is. And I assumed it was going to be the worst. And then I opened it up and then it was better than I thought. And so it was good. So if news is going to be good at all, it has to invade bad. So what that means is that today has to be bad news day. And I'm sorry about that, but I'm trying to be really upfront about it. I even put it as the title. You can see the title. I'm not pulling any punches. Today is bad news day. Now, if you came back to church and this was, you know, this is going to be the Sunday and I'm going to come and I need some encouragement, wrong day. And I'm sorry. The good news is coming, I promise. But we have to, first, if all this stuff about Jesus is really going to be good, then we first have to really understand the bad that is us and all around us. And then, then I think that we'll be hungry for it. So today becomes bad news. So what is the bad news? And the bad news is that our world is broken. And I think we know this. I know we know this that the world is broken, that the world that we live in is off, like something's not right, something has gone wrong. And I, I know if I, I know that we could go up and down the aisles and you, you could tell me how you know. I even left a little spot in your bulletin for you to write down, and we'll kind of get that in a little bit, but how you, you know it is. But some people are more tuned, in, tuned into it than, than others, how broke it is. We have... Um, police officers that are part of our faith family. And every day they deal with issues, they deal with crime, and they, they fight it, if you will, and then they come home and they lay in their beds and they, they're able to think about all the stuff that they saw and all the stuff they didn't want to see that day but had to see. It's the reality of their job. And they know tomorrow they're going to go right back and deal with the same thing, all the same mess. They are tuned into how broke it is. We have counselors that they work in schools, they go and they meet with kids in elementary schools and the kids come into their office and they tell them all about their home life and how not so good their home life is. And those counselors get to go home to a house that's maybe a little more in order than the one those kids are coming from. And they lay there in their bed and they think, okay, right now that kid that I talked to today, I know what they are going through and it is not good. And they're just, they can't sleep because it's a mess. Like they're tuned into it. Not all of us have that. Sometimes we just need tuned. Sometimes we can go around in a fog and, hey, it's okay, and it's, it's, it's all right, and then something will happen, and it lifts the fog, and you're like, oh, yeah, this place is a mess. I mean, it, every headline, well, not every, but most. I mean, it doesn't matter what day you go. There's a headline that will tell you how, how broken it is. We're just now dealing with what's the latest. It's in Oregon. And we wake up, and we figure out that someone shot the whole place up. And it, and it lifts the fog a little bit. There was the one that sticks in my mind were the, the, the news people that were shot online or, or they were shot live. So they were doing this thing and they, this ex-employee who just went crazy and he came and it was all caught on video and it's, it's just there. I hadn't seen the planned parenthood videos, the secret videos that, that recorded directors and doctors from, from some locations in Planned Parenthood advocating the sale of human body parts. I hadn't seen those. I heard about them, but then I saw them or saw what was put out there. I'm not suggesting that I saw all of it. 
probably the hardest one I saw there was a doctor saying to someone, you just have to tell me what you want as far as the parts. You have to tell me about, you want cardio, do you want lungs, do you want spine? And then what I can do is I can go in and I can save what you want. So I can crush below and I can crush above and then, but you just have to tell me what you want. Like it's nothing. It's a mess. But we don't need headlines. We have the headlines and we know and that lifts the fog, but we don't necessarily know that. All of us know ourselves, like I know. It's, it's not just the big things, it's the little things. Listen, I know you know. I just came from the donut room and I had conversation after conversation about how things are a mess. Just everything is difficult. Every enterprise we try to go into, like here's the phrase that I, that I know will resonate with you. It's always something. Do you, does that resonate with you? Like, can you, you have probably all said that. You're starting somewhere and you're like, it doesn't matter what you do. It's always something. It's like this constant frustration. Even if you're trying to do good or bad, whatever. Case in point for me, two Sundays ago, I wasn't up. I wasn't preaching. So I had this idea. I was going to come to church with my family. We were going to drive here together, which was really weird for us because we never do that. And it was, we're going to sit in here. We're going to do what you guys do. And it was like, I was so excited. So I had this thing. I was going to cook breakfast in the morning. So I got up and we, I don't know where we got this waffle iron. I was going to make these waffles and I made them. I poured them in there. Nothing spilled out over the edge. I opened it. Every single square stuck. I literally ripped an entire, it was like perfect. It ripped it right in half twice. I even sprayed it the second time. It ripped twice. I burned my finger twice. And I'm like, Really? Oh, it's just my day. It's my one day. And even on my one day, I don't know why I look up. I think we always blame God. I'm not sure why. Like, really? I ended up throwing it in. I think we got it from a garage sale. I don't know. It threw the waffle iron away. On my day, we come back. I sit. I just want to sit. We're going to watch the game. I'm going to sit. I just sit. And Brandy comes in. She's like, Chad, we got to go. John had a wreck. Our youngest was riding his bike to his cousin's house, which is not a big deal. You can ride your bike to your cousin's house. It's okay. He decided to do it without hands. <laughs> and there's handlebars for a reason. And he turned around, started weaving, hit a mailbox. A stranger in a minivan pulled up to make sure it was okay because his elbow was a bloody mess. It's always something. Like, can't we just sit and watch the game. And the answer to that is what? No. And you, you know, you know what it is. It's, I wrote down. It's the job, you were going to get it, and then they never called. It's the guy, they say they're for you, and then you find out two days later that they, they're not for you. They said they were, and now they're not. It's engine lights. Anybody have an engine light on right now? Yeah, I do too. It's your body. You, you know it's off because your body's breaking down. I know the world is broke because there are tiny pieces of calcium that come out of my kidneys. <laughs> my body is rebelling. Everything is falling apart. You name it. Even when you try to have fun. So I'll we'll finish this point and then we'll go on. But like my kids were watching these videos where it's YouTube videos where it says people watching people fall down probably shouldn't watch them but they're really funny 
And uh, it's, it's even when you're trying to have fun. This is a couple of dads trying to raise the bar on fun. But even when you're trying to do that, it is a broken world and things go wrong once this. They they run it again and they slow it down and he goes. Anyway, yeah, listen. I did that for you, right? Because to bring a little levity to the situation, because because I know really at the end of the day it isn't funny. I mean that's funny, but so is it broken? Give me a yes. Okay, you. All right. So here's what we're gonna go towards God's word today. It's broke. It's broken. But from God's word, we're gonna. We're, this is what we're gonna dig out. Number one, it wasn't always that way. And two, how and when it became this way, and why we're still living in it today. So. We're going to do that from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this. So it's the beginning narratives of the Scripture, and so you're probably very familiar with that. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, you're familiar with that phrase. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, who? In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, here's a description from the opening lines of the Bible. It says that before he starts, it says, darkness was over the face of the deep. And there's, a, uh, there's two words that are given to describe darkness over the face of the deep. And it's these two words. This is actually verse 2. And the earth was formless and void. Scholars will tell you that, that as you look at this language and some good words to add to this scenario before God starts to create are wild and waste or utter chaos. So you have wild and waste, formless and void, utter chaos, and then starts the six days. Now, here's what's interesting about the six days. You're probably familiar, but they deal very specifically. There's a certain pattern to them. I love this. They deal very specifically with those two words. On the first three, form is given where there was no form, and on the last three, fill is given where there was no fill. So it goes like this. On day one, it's light is separated from dark. So it's kind of the outer, outer space. On day two, waters emerge and they're separated to upper waters and lower waters. That's an atmosphere and an ocean. So now it has this form in the world. There's outer, outer, then there's atmosphere, then there's ocean. And on day three, what comes out of the ocean? Land. So day three, then land emerges up out of the ocean. So that's one, two, three, and now there's form where there was no form, but it's still empty. So then it turns, and then God starts to fill. What does he fill on day four? What's on day four? It is the stars and the moon and all the constellations. So he fills the outer, outer. On day five, he fills what? The water, the sky, and the ocean. So day five is birds and fish, and then day six... What's left? Land. And on day six, he fills the land, and that's animals, and then you and I, we arrive. So it goes like, and after everything he does, it says, and the Lord God saw what he had done, and it was good. So here's the rhythm. You have wild and waste. You have utter chaos, and then God begins, and you have create form, and it was good. Create form, and it was good. Create form, and it was good. Turn. 
Fill the form you just created and it was good. Fill the form you just created and it was good. Fill the form you just created and it was good. Even very good rest. And after this, if you can see it, where there was nothing, where it was utter chaos and formless and void, now he has put together this universe that is running like a well-oiled machine. It is, everything is acting exactly as it's supposed to act. Everything is acting exactly as it's supposed to act, exactly when it's supposed to do it. So you have constellations in the sky. You have the earth tilted at just the right degree. It's spinning at just the right speed. It's orbiting at just the right whatever. It is, there are, there's night and there's day, there's seasons, there's a full moon, then there's a half moon, then there's a sliver, and then it starts over again. The weather is perfect. And on the inside, you have lions sitting next to the sheep, and no one's eating one another. It's perfect. It's, if you could just Stand back and watch it. It's just running perfectly. And it all came from form, formless, void, utter chaos. And now it's perfect harmony. So let's go inside of that now and see what are things like for us. What were things like for us? And we'll go right in on day six because that's when we got here. Day six, this is Genesis 2, 5 through 8. If I can find it. Well, I know what it says. This is a really, there we go. You knew what it said before I did. Here we go. I like this description because it's like that, just kind of reminds me of a movie. So we're just, we're, now we're going inside of all of this and we get to see, it's a good description of, of what things were like as we step inside of there. So, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Verse 8, and the Lord God then planted a garden in the Eden in the east, and there he put the man who had formed it. So it's like this misty paradise, and then God takes dust, and he forms it into man, and he breathes in, and we have the breath of life. Puts him in this garden, but then verse 18 says, but it's not good for man to be alone. What happens next? So it's not good for man to be alone. So then what does God do next? This isn't Eve yet. The next thing that comes is God starts to make the animals. So we're on day six. So what he does is he makes the animals and then Adam names them. So it's cat, it's bird, it's dog, it's whatever the case may be, um, he names it. But at the end of that description, there is this line. And it says, after he's done all of that, I'm having a hard time finding my text today. I just want to quote it correctly. But there was not found a helper fit for him. After all those things, it's not good for man to be alone. He makes those things, but it's not, but not a, there was not a helper fit for him. So now he puts him to sleep and out of his rib, he makes Eve. She's the only thing that wasn't made from dust because women are awesome, I guess. So they come from that. He, w- he wakes him up and says essentially this, all right, Adam, now name that one. 
So you've named all these, now name this one. And he says, she shall be called woman, which means of man or of me. And another way you could say that is, I'm going to call that one mine. So I want you to see the picture that he starts to say those things. God makes something and that's a dog and that's a cat and that's a bird and that's a, and he gets all the way and he said, but that one, she's mine. She's perfect. That's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I need. Remember it said, and no suitable helper was found for him, but now there is. And right after that, we get the first mention of this word. It says that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall be one. They shall be one. And so with Adam and Eve coming together, you have this, you have this description of cleave, which means they are absolutely on the same page. They have perfect companionship right off the bat. That this is the most powerful relationship in all of the world. This marriage relationship that they have. If this relationship is strong, then you can handle everything out there. If this relationship is falling apart, you can't handle anything out there. But theirs is perfect companionship. Leave and cleave. They are exactly on the same page. So it starts with that. Perfectly united in every way imaginable. And two, now they have a job. They have something to do. God didn't just put them there and like, okay, lay around and do nothing. One writer said the garden that they were supposed to work was a vocation, not a vacation. And he gives them all sorts of things to do. The things that he gives them to do, uh, they come from Genesis chapter one, and they come from Genesis two, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it. God says, I give you dominion over every living thing, everything that has breath on earth, all the trees and the plants that are good for food, it's all yours. Genesis 2, he tells them, work the garden and keep it. So they have jobs to do. I can't possibly know all the jobs they could do, but I know this, that we were created in the image of God and God is a creator. So not only are they going to take care of things, I don't know if they made other gardens. I don't know if they started chopping down trees and building houses. I don't know. All I know is they were going to create things. It was theirs to run and everything that was ever going to be, they were going to rule over it and subdue it. And it was fruitful, good, and right. It was like the best job ever. And if they had any questions about how to do it, they had unique relationship with God. All they had to do is go ask him. That's Genesis 3. And God walked in the cool of the day. So if they had any questions about this perfect job that they had, all they had to do is go find him somewhere, show up on the trail that God always walked down. I don't know which one it was. And they would just ask him, hey, I'm not exactly sure how to work the garden. Could you somehow their relationship with God was not like ours. Our relationship with God is, there's so much we don't know. There's so much we have to guess about. They didn't have to guess about anything. It was, it was unlike anything that we can imagine. It, there were no questions between them. And if they did have questions, forgot all they had to do was ask. So they had perfect companionship, great jobs, Unique relationship with God. To, he, all of his resources were at their back to make sure they had everything they needed to go do what they wanted to do. And it was going to last forever. It says that they had access to the tree of life. In the middle of the garden, God caused to spring up the tree of life, and they had access to it. Do you know what it means that they had access to the tree of life? I know you've heard this all the time, like there were two trees, and one was the tree of life. But to have access to that tree of life meant that they had eternal life. 
that it was never going to end, that this paradise that God had created, this perfect scenario that he had set up for them that they were moving into was never going to end. As long as they had access to that tree, it was never going to end. And, it's the last thing we'll talk about on this one, there was only one rule. There was also another tree that God caused to spring up in that garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And everything, that he said, you could have everything you want. I want you to rule over it, subdue it. It's all for you, every tree, all the good food, all the good fruit. It's all for you, except the only thing you can't do is there's another tree in the garden somewhere. Some suggest it wasn't necessarily in the middle. And you just can't eat from that tree. Just don't eat that. Which is pretty easy. It seems simple enough. It's a straightforward, don't do it. It's a little different than if God would have said, um, and the only rule is respect me. Well, how do you do that? I mean, there's a hundred different ways to make that true. This rule was really easy. You could follow it really easy. It was just don't eat that. That's all you had to do is not do that. That's not heavy-handed at all. If If I pull that description together, it looks a little bit like this. In the beginning, there was... This, so out of nothing, there was this universe working perfectly. Then inside of that, we had perfect companionship, leave and cleave, lifetime employment that you love, unique relationship with God, obedience leading to joy and eternal life. And there's something in us that we know that's what it was and that's in some way what was lost. It looks pretty good to me. I think the lifetime employment that you love and meaningful, that's the part I'm like, think about your own job right now. We're going to get to your own job right now, but think about a lifetime job you love is meaningful, purposeful, it's like perfect. That's what it was set up to be. Then, though, this happened. Right? Apple broke our world. And I think it was broke way before Apple. I'm not sure that Apple's made it better. But anyway, you, you get the idea. You understand this, that that one rule of don't do that, they broke that. It was a, a simple rule not to break, but they did. And it just meant we don't trust you, God. We don't believe in you fully. We think you're hiding something from us. We actually think that we know better than you. And everything, it was just rebellion that started. And everything out of that rebellion, it knocked off this perfect running machine that God had set up. So just think about like there's like a top that's spinning. You know how tight when it's spinning right at the top, just it stays right there. And it's like someone bumped it. And then the whole thing starts to wobble. And pretty soon it's going to careen off the table. Right? So when that happened, the whole thing started to wobble and new things started to replace. God is going to remake it. He ordered it perfectly, and now he's going to reorder it. God's going to reorder it in a way that it's going to wobble. So this is the way I read it. And I, and I found, so I've read these passages, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I've read them lots of times. But I started to read them through, and this, this is what jumped out at me. There were new words that appeared in those passages that didn't appear before the apple, before the sin. So some of the new words that appear on the pages for the very first time would have never appeared back there, but they do. And the first word that appears after that bite, after that sin, was hide. In this new world that we live in now, there's hiding. 
Adam and Eve hide. So I don't know if you know exactly the story, but they eat and they become ashamed of themselves. They have fear and so they hide. So the first, Adam and Eve, right after they eat, they start hiding from two people. They hide from one another. They hide from two things. They hide from each other. So the first thing they do is they make leaves for themselves to hide themselves. A little like discount double check, but not. <laughs> Fig leaf. So they hide from themselves first, and then who do they hide from? They hide from God. They hide in the trees. They hide for two reasons. They hide one because they're ashamed and two, because of fear, which is what sin will always do. Think it through. This will always be true about sin. When, before sin, there's no hiding. It's good. After sin, there's this awareness that pops. I did something I wasn't supposed to do, and I am ashamed. So you have shame first, then you become afraid that other people will know, or in this case, God would know. And so there's shame, and it's followed by fear. And then when you're ashamed and you're afraid, you do what? You hide. Here's why that matters. Because we're still hiding today. Every single one of us is hiding because I'm hiding. Because the last thing I want is for my whole life to run up there on that screen and for you to see all that I've done or all that I've ever done or all that maybe even I will do because I don't want you to see it because it's full of sin. And if it's full of sin, you will, you'll think less of me. You'll judge me. I will be embarrassed by what I've done. I would be embarrassed of what I've done for, for you to know it all. And so I don't want you to see it. So I only let you see what I want you to see. And you do the same with me. You don't want your life to run up there. Everything you've done when no one was watching, do you want, do you want everybody to see today? Well, no way you don't want that. Why? Because you'd be ashamed. And you'd have some fear of the people in this room or maybe fear of God. So then you, so listen, you, everyone, we live in a world where everyone is hiding. That's why Facebook's so easy. <laughs> it's the digital expression of what we do every day. I let you see what I want you to see. And you let me see what you want me to see. And that's how we live. And it's a messed up world when everyone in it is hiding. So hide. That wasn't there before. Now everyone's hiding. Two, here's the next word that hits the, that hits the, the page that was never there before. God said cursed. That this whole thing, I'm going to curse this world that you live in now. Does anyone want anything that's cursed? There's two cars. This one's blessed and this one's cursed. Which one do you want? Does anybody want a cursed car? You don't want a cursed anything. Yes, I'll take the cursed one. <laughs> Nobody wants that. So the curse on this world now comes this. Here's the thing that come with it. God says we're going to curse with enmity. Kind of a strange word, but it means active hostility. Now, the top was running perfectly. It got bumped. It's wobbling. Part of the wobble is 
active hostility amongst creation. Creation will have active hostility amongst each other, and it's active hostility between people, between things you can see and things you can't see. When God speaks this curse of enmity, he's actually speaking it to the serpent. And if you're aware of the story, the serpent represents Satan or the demonic, and he's the one that tempted Adam and Eve to eat in the first place. He speaks it, and he says, there will be enmity or there will be active hostility between you and the offspring of this woman. So that means that there's going to be active hostility in this wobbling world that we live in between us and things we can't see, the demonic forces of evil. Welcome to spiritual warfare in the new reordered world. Do any of you have any experience with that? I, our fight is not against flesh and blood. We struggle against, what does it say in other places? The rulers and the power, the, like the things that are going on in this world that we can't see, that's really where our enemy lies. That's 1 Peter 5. We have an enemy that prowls like a lion. If we, if we believe that's true, and I do, I will bet you that there had to be some sort of war that was won for me to get up here and speak about God in any meaningful way. For me to get up here and speak about Jesus in a way that brings him glory or God that makes him mighty, I'll bet you that something has to happen in the heavenly somewhere. Some battle has to be won so that I can even get up here and do this. Spiritual warfare is part of this wobbling world that we live in and enmity between people we can see. What does he talk about? The, the next thing he talks about is the relationship between the husband and the wife, husband and the wife, which was what? Leave and cleave. It was perfect companionship. Now it's, it's going to be strife between. It says, your desire will be for your husband, and his desire will be to rule over you, and your desire will be to rule over him. And so that means that this marriage relationship that was perfect companionship will now be marked with struggle. Are there any married people in the room that would say, yes, I do believe that the world is wobbling and the marriage relationship is marked with struggle? Last night there was only one. Here there's none. Oh, one, two. <laughs> yeah. Perfect companionship. Now it's going to be marked with struggle. Struggle. Pain is a new word that hits the text. Pain. Before the apple, there's no pain. It's like, do what you want. Ha, you know, like, rule it and subdue it. Now, pain. Pain in, he speaks very specifically to pain, tells Eve, when you bring children into this world, it will be exceedingly painful. But the pain with kids does not stop there. And, and so let me back up on this one, because I'm going to trace it all the way through. Children are a blessing from the Lord. I'm not saying that. We're going to get to that. There's some really good news there. But remember what day this is. This is what day? This is bad news day. So let's talk about kids in that way. If you choose children or God chooses children for you, that enterprise will be absolutely full of pain. I see it in different ways. Pain in the beginning there, but pain when they're little, and then pain as they grow up and they don't do what they're what they're supposed to do. Here's the pain now for us that I'm experiencing that I don't exactly know what to do with. Our oldest is leaving next year. She's going away. That our, it's always been six, and now our house is going to be five. And it messes me up. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
she's going to be gone. And here's the thing that kills me. She kind of wants to be gone. <laughs> and it hurts. Like, I don't want to lose that, but I'm going to lose. It's going to fall apart. That part is going to change. It hurts. I just talked to some people down in the donor room. You don't stop being a parent just because they leave. It hurts later, too. Pain is going to be a part of this wobbling world. And the last one, the big one, what do they lose? What, what is the big part of this curse that's coming down? They lose access to the tree of life. The last one is death. He said, from dust you came, and from dust you will now return. And the Lord God drove the man and the woman from the garden. He put an angel there, and then there was a sword. It said the sword would turn every direction to guard their way to, so they couldn't get back to the what? To the tree of life. And so now death is a part of it. So it looks like this. If I could just put the two up here. Before, perfect, leave and cleave, lifetime job that you love. Oh, I even missed work. Pain and work. Can I just do that one for just a minute? Can we please know God also says to Adam, it's weeds at work. So part of this pain, it's, it's with kids, but it's also with your job. Like everything he says to Adam. Hey, before you were gonna, you were gonna rule and subdue and plant and make, and it was gonna be great. Now you're gonna eat from this. You're gonna eat from the ground, but I've cursed the ground. So when you eat from it, that's fine. But you will eat from it only from the sweat of your brow. In other words, you're gonna eat and you're gonna earn it. But every day it's gonna be hard. How many have tons of weeds at work? Like everything that could go wrong goes wrong. Like it's always something at work, and that's another part of it. So look at it. It was, but now it is. Perfect and leave and cleave and lifetime and unique and eternal. It's never going to end. And now it's full of hiding, fear, shame. It's cursed. There's active hostility, spiritual warfare, pain, relational chaos, weeds, separation, and death. And this one, that's where we live. And we can't fix it. We're stuck. The end. I, I know, that's where it ends today. Like, I'm sorry. I, I know, it's always like the, but, but not today. So here's what I want you to do. This, I've set you up for good conversation. Will you, will you please do this? As you work this out this week, I've, I've set you up for good conversations to be had. As you work this out, would you please be honest with the community that you're in, whatever one you choose, would you please be honest with, number one, how do you know it's broke? As you, as you share that, if you're willing to share that and get in, do you know what you actually start to do? You actually start hiding a little less. And if we start hiding a little less, we are on our way to, to a remedy, to a, a cure that's, that's going to get us out of it. But the conversation this week should be about how you really do know how the brokenness has touched your life and be honest about it. Because as people start to be honest about that, we start to know one another, we start to hide less, and good things can come from that. So just be honest about how you know it's broke, and then this will be the conversation for next time. This is the last question I'm leaving you with. It says, what do you try to do to fix it? 
Every single one of us feels the weight of it. And so we all look to something to try to get out of it, to give us a little bit of relief. Do you know what they say about relief? They say relief is the best feeling in the world. You just get a little break. Listen, we all know it's bad. So we run to things. We rest our heart in things to give us a little bit of relief. I know specifically what I run to to try to get a little bit of relief from all that's broke. What do you run to? I'll just give you a few examples and we'll wrap it up. The beach. <laughs> Can we, the beach is such a wonderful little savior, isn't it? It's just so perfect. And we could just, it's, gonna, it's not going to solve anything. The re, next week's message is about empty attempts, at, empty attempts at redemption. All the things we run to that we think, oh, it's going to fix it. And then if it doesn't include Jesus in any way, why it's going to be futile. The beach, the bottle. This is huge. My job sucks. I just want to come home and drink a few beers and check out. And, and beer or whatever is such a good little savior for about three hours every day. And then you wake up and nothing has changed. But we run to these things, we rest our heart in them just to give us a little bit of relief. Or, or another woman, my wife, she can't get anything right, but that woman, she, I'm sure she does everything right, so I'm going to go for this one. Let me just stop you, she doesn't, Okay. I need a boyfriend. I'm lonely. I need a boyfriend. No, you don't. Please, he's not. He's not. I promise you, he's not the savior that you think he is, et cetera, et cetera. So honest about those two things. How do you know it's broke? And what do you honestly really look to other than Jesus? Let's be honest to give you just a little bit of relief. And that should set you up for some really good conversation in your groups this week. And then We'll pick it up next time, and we'll start to get more towards the good news, I promise. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thankful for the opportunity to talk about some difficult things, I suppose, uh, but the reality of our existence nevertheless. Help us to be honest this week in our groups. Help us to actually get in them and be honest in them. Start to hide a little less that maybe, just maybe, we could work towards real change in our life. I ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said.